to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host and nosiest of neighbors, Millie Brooks. Thank you for joining me today, guys. This is episode 46, and if you are just tuning in, this is season three. All the episodes and the topics that we are covering this season have to do with the highs and lows of infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Today, we are going to talk to Jordi Pachinik, who is an adoptee from South Korea, who is just starting the process for IVF. But before we get to that chit-chat, a friendly reminder that this podcast is for for adults. Um, We use adult language, and everything we are talking about falls under adult themes. So if you have small children around, consider yourself warned. A second reminder... Please rate, review, and subscribe to Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. This show is really growing because of your support, and it makes me cry. Thank you so much, guys, from the bottom of my cold, dead heart. Jordy, ever since I met you at Fertility Rally Support Group. I wanted to get you on the air. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. I this is honestly this chit chat has been the highlight of my week. I am so happy to dive into your story and hear more about about your jo- journey to parenthood. Yeah, it's an exciting journey. It's got a lot of ups and downs. Um, it's like a roller coaster is what I like to say. And as I like to describe uh, infertility, it's basically one huge mind fuck. <laughs> I, I know that people have used that before. Um, shout outs to our dear friend, Monica. Um, yes. But it is truly that. And, you know, it's the worst club, but has the best members. And I'm glad that we're both here. A hundred percent. Well, let's start with telling folks a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your journey so far. So, as we all know, my name is Jordan, but I go by Jordy, so most of you all know me by Jordy. Um, I was born in Incheon, Korea, South Korea, which is actually like really close to Seoul, Korea. So when people ask where I'm from, I actually tell them I'm from Seoul, Korea, because not a lot of people know where Incheon is. Um, I was adopted when I was three months old from Korea and brought to Seattle, Washington, where I've lived the last 35 years of my life. Fab. And what do you do? So I am a unemployed chef right now. I went to culinary school. Um, I got to train with an Italian master chef who was the most amazing thing in the world. Um, Italian food for me has honestly been ruined. I don't like a lot of frozen meals <laughs> of Italian You're not a Stouffer's person. I'll do Stouffer's lasagna once in a while because it's quick and it's easy, but I'd rather make my own. And I actually have been told for being an Asian, I make pretty good Italian food. What's your favorite dish? Um, I like to do homemade spaghetti sauce with um, my own meatballs that I like to make. I do a mix of um, three meats, actually, which is interesting. So I do a mix of ground beef, ground pork, and a little bit of ground turkey. That sounds delicious. 
Yeah. And you have to use everything fresh. Everything has to be fresh, fresh herbs, fresh garlic, fresh, everything, fresh meat. It has to all be fresh. So yeah, that's what I love. Yeah. I love it. So walk us through a little bit of your trying to conceive journey. So my husband and I have been trying for about three years now. Um, We've been married for three years. So I guess a little bit more, three and a half years. Um, I had an IUD and I had that in for five years. We actually started dating and we got pregnant and we ended up miscarrying and that was really tough. Uh, He had to travel for his work at the time when I was going through the miscarriage and I was not you know, with him at the time when I had to miscarriage. Thankfully, my lovely mother lived with us and she was there and they gave me the pill to basically flush it out of my system and everything. And my poor mother has never seen me the way that the pill affected me. I was in pain. I was emotional. I was a hot mess. And, you know, I think it hit her kind of hard um, to see her daughter like that. So that was really a tough time. Um, My husband was in DC at a meeting for his work and the whole entire time he felt horrible that he had to leave me. Uh, but he knew that I was in good hands with my mom. So that was our first miscarriage. Um, and that was really hard. And then I got the IUD because we were thinking, Oh, well, we're not really ready to become parents yet. If we had had that child, if it had, you know, gone to full term, we would have totally accepted it and been good. Um, but Also, at the time, we had a lot of things that we wanted to accomplish in life, and we weren't really ready in the mindset and everything financially, mentally, emotionally, and all that. So I had the IUD, and I got it out, and we started trying for a child. And this is pre-marriage. Sorry, mom and dad and my mother-in-law, but this is (laughs) pre-marriage. We're just letting it all hang out (laughs) right now, and I love it. Um, so this is pre-marriage and we started trying and, you know, I wasn't really taking any like tests or anything for ovulation. We were just trying and nothing was happening and nothing was happening and nothing was happening. And so I was like, well, maybe not now's not the time. So we got married and uh, unfortunately the week, like a week and a half before our marriage, I got my period. But it wasn't a period. It was blood clots galore. And I called my doctor and I said, I've never had this problem before. I'm bleeding through like tampons. I'm bleeding through pads. What is going on here? You know, I almost feel like I should just go get diapers and wear a diaper. Um, And basically she said, I think you're miscarrying. And this was a week and a half before our wedding. And it was very, very emotional, you know, like here's this time where you should be joyous and excited for your wedding and everything. And instead, when you think you're having a period before your wedding, it's actually you're miscarrying. Oh my gosh. And did you, did you have any idea that you were pregnant before then? Or we actually didn't really like my Breasts were very sensitive, and actually, I went for a fitting three weeks before our wedding. And the woman who was fixing my dress and hemming it and making all the adjustments, she's like, "Oh, your chest, your bust has grown quite a bit." And I was like, "Oh, okay, well, that's interesting, you know." And I didn't really feel anything, and I was 
I mean, I had so many emotions going on, you know, it's like two weeks before our wedding, here I am a hot mess, you know, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, you know, we're doing, dealing with a lot of last minute wedding stuff. And so my mind really wasn't on my body or concentrating about, you know, my body itself. It was more worrying about the wedding and everything else that was going on. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, um, she, your doctor told you that you were having a miscarriage. Yeah. Take us from there. So that was pretty, a pretty, pretty rough time. I couldn't believe that I was miscarrying, you know, our, a week and a half before a wedding. And um, she, I asked her if she wanted me to come in and she's like, well, as long as you're passing everything and you should be okay, if you have any, you know, any problems or any issues with anything, just let us know, uh, call us, we're here for you. Let us know if you, you know, need to go to the emergency room, feel free to and stuff. And I basically just passed the everything you know, and I didn't know how far along I was, which was kind of difficult, but everything just passed through. Um, and, you know, it was a week and a half before our wedding. I had wedding stuff on my mind, and I honestly didn't get to really think much about the miscarriage, but I knew it was there. And so it's just always something to remember, you know, that was a really hard time for us. And thankfully, I have the world's best husband. And he was there by my side and we didn't really get to grieve much, which was hard. It was more about celebrating us. And I think that kind of helped in a sense for us to be married the next week because it wasn't on my mind and I had so much other exciting things to look forward to. Yeah. You kind of had to immerse yourself into wedding zone. You had to get into a wedding mindset. I can see what you mean by that. So that was three years ago. Um, so catch us up to speed now. What has happened between those, between that time and now? So basically speeding up, speeding forward about a year and a half ago, I went to my doctor and I said, we're having problems conceiving and she's my primary care practitioner. She's amazing. She is so open and honest and she's amazing. And she said, well, I'm going to send you to an RE. I'd like you to go see an RE. And I said, okay, well, let's go to the RE and see if they have any advice or if they can see what's going on. So fast forward, basically this was a year and a half ago, about almost two years ago. We went to the RE and they were like, well, we don't know why you're not getting pregnant. You are you know, young-ish, and your husband is doing fine. They took a sperm analysis, said everything looks good. You know, maybe they're a little bit slow, but everything looks good on his end and everything. And then they decided, okay, we're going to do a dye HSG test. So. Yes, I'm very familiar. So for those who don't think a dye HSG test is painful or that childbirth is more painful, Try having a uterus anomaly. So What? Yes. A uterus anomaly. I can't even say it correctly. I know. It's a tongue twister. And <laughs> it, so I had the HSG. I laid there on the bed, on the table. It's not even a bed because it's not comfortable. Legs spread. The doctor is inserting the dye and he's looking at it, and he has this concerned look on his face. I obviously can't see the concerned look, but my nurse who was there with me was like, oh, 
Interesting. And then they went. That's all she said. Yeah, that's all she said. She was holding my hand. Tears were coming down my face because it was it was worse than my period pain. Like it's worse. It literally felt like someone was in there with some kind of tool because they were in there with some kind of tool. And I literally felt like someone was scraping the insides of my body out. And that was, yeah. And that was, it was painful. So tears are coming down my face. They, um, the doctor goes and looks at the main screen where it is in a side room and says, Oh, I'm going to need to look more into this. So then he comes and tells me the dye is only going through one tube, one side of the tube. So I said, oh, okay. And my doctor at the time, my Ari at the time, was not sure really what was going on. So he said, I'll get the results back and I'll let you know. Well, a few days later, he called us and said, you are very unique. You have this uterus anomaly. And it's actually called unicorn U8 uterus. Oh my God. What a, what a magical term. Yeah. That I, that's like the most met, like the most magical, mystical, fantastical um, medical term I've ever heard before. So I got excited because unicorns, <laughs> unicorns and pandas are my favorite things in the world. Yes, I know unicorns aren't really real but i will pretend they are and they I are am in your one. uterus jordy they are in my uterus um so in a sense i was kind of excited and my mom always told me growing up you're special so now i feel even more special i felt like my mom knew something that i didn't know not that she knew that i had this um but basically what a unicorn U8 uteruses, it's a rare genetic condition in which only one half of a girl's uterus forms. So when I was born, only one half of my uterus formed. Got it. A unicornatus uterus is smaller than a typical uterus and has only one fallopian tube. So basically, I only have one fallopian tube. Um, And then the results in the shape often referred to as a uterus with one horn. Mm. Or a single horn uterus. So that's what unicornate uterus is. So like your tube would be the horn to the unicorn. Yes. Got it. On one side. Yeah. But I have both ovaries. I have both kidneys. There's some women out there who do have unicornatus uterus who only have one kidney. So I actually have both kidneys, which is a blessing. Wow. Amazing. Well, so at that point, did they tell you you have to go right to IVF? They actually were very, very adamant about us doing a surrogate and or an adoption. And I wanted a second opinion. So I ended up going and getting a second opinion and going to a different clinic and someone who was more... I guess, knowledgeable about unicornate uterus. And they said, no, you can get pregnant. You can get pregnant through IVF. And for me, that was a huge sigh of relief. It was, I have nothing against surrogacy. I have nothing against adoption. I am adopted. I have nothing against using someone else's eggs or sperm or any of that. But being adopted, there's nothing more than I want than to have my own child with my own blood. Yeah. Um, 
And so you are in the IVF process right now. Yeah. So we basically, we're going to start in January this year. Um, My period decided not to show up and be MIA. And I honestly thought I was period or pregnant, not period, pregnant because, you know, where's my period? So I took, as we all do, I took a million and a half pregnancy tests. They all came back negative. And I think what was going on was is that I got a Peloton. I was working out every single day, 30 minutes a day, riding my heart out. And I think because I hadn't worked out in such a long time and I hadn't been very active that my body was not sure what was going on and decided to say, hey, I'm going to go MIA. I'll show up when I want to. So I was like, okay, well, there goes that. So then February comes along and we're waiting for my cycle and boom, the lovely Rona. Corona hits. (laughs) The lovely Rona. The lovely Rona. Yes, lovely Rona. Lovely, lovely Rona. We all love to hate. So she comes along, Rona comes along, and basically everything gets closed down. I live in Seattle, Washington, and there was basically everything that was non-essential surgery-wise was closed down. So here we are in the waiting game. February goes by, March goes by, April, May, June we're finally into July. Woohoo! And we finally just met with our RE. She's amazing. And our clinic is also amazing. And she said, let's get this ball rolling. Yay! That's so exciting. Yes, finally. A year and a half later of going to get tests, to doing filling out paperwork, to finding money for our you know, treatments, finally a year and a half later, it's going to start hopefully forming and going into shape. Oh my gosh. Well, so what were people's reactions when you started telling them that you were going to begin the IVF process? So we told my parents that we were going through to go with IVF because of my unicorn uate uterus and that we were having a hard time conceiving. And my parents have been so supportive my whole entire life. Uh, My mom was very supportive. My dad was supportive. I have an older sister who lives in D.C. and a younger sister who lives here in Seattle. And they were very, very supportive all around. And I loved it. You know, they were like, we have, you know, we're here for you, whatever you need. Let us know what we can do for you to help. Um, And honestly, my family has been amazing. They've been reading up about, you know, unicornuate uterus. And they've been reading up about, you know, IVF and going through all that. So that's really great. My mom and I haven't talked a lot about her fertility because, and or I wouldn't, I don't know if she's, I'm not going to say infertility, but her fertility, just because she adopted my older sister and I when we were younger, and then she was able to have conceive when I was two years old and my little sister was born by my parents. I like to say that she was naturally conceived. Yes, we're all naturally conceived, but she was born, you know. By my parents, so she's the natural born. Um, so she, my mom and I haven't really talked a lot about it. I just knew that my parents wanted to adopt, and they did. And then this happened, and you know, my sister was born, and so we're going through the same thing, kind of. And my mom has just been like my biggest support, my biggest role model. So it's great. Amazing. 
did anyone ever assume that because you were adopted, you would choose that avenue to parenthood first? It sounds like the clinic that you went to sort of kind of, I don't know, nudged you on that a little bit. Let, talk talk to us about that. So I've had a few friends or people I know, acquaintances, who have asked me, well, why don't you adopt? You're adopted. You should adopt. And yes, I would love to adopt. But also at the same time, adoption is very hard. It's a hard process to go through. It's very expensive. Not as expensive as IVF is, but it's very expensive, especially if you want to adopt from overseas, which I would love more than anything to adopt from overseas. But at the same time, I would love to try and have my own child. And like I said before, for being adopted, there's nothing more than you want than to experience, you know, something or a child. It's not something, a child that has your own bloodline that maybe looks like you, has the same nose I do, my cute little button nose. It is a cute nose. <laughs> I just long, I just long to have something that is part of me. And don't get me wrong, I would love to adopt as many children as possible after we have our first one. But for me to experience, you know, going through motherhood, going through pregnancy, you know, experiencing all of that is just something that I just yearn. Yeah. Yeah. What types of misconceptions are out there regarding international adoption? Um... There's actually quite a few, and it's very sad. And, um, you know, people think that a lot of, you know, I was adopted from Korea, and I know a lot of people that are adopted from Korea, and basically everybody's like, oh, well, in Korea, they don't want the girls, they only want the boys, and in other Asian countries as well. And, you know, there are a lot of Asian adoptees, that are women. Um, and, but I also find a lot of Asian adoptees that are also men. Um, and I really don't think that, you know, saying, Oh, you know, the Asian culture doesn't want girls or doesn't want boys is totally, you know, that's not how it is. It's, you know, these parents are dealing with a lot and everything and, you know, adoption is such a hard thing to give up your child for adoption. And, you know, people are saying, Oh yes, well, you probably costed more than anyone, that is adopted from the States. Well, yeah, that's true, you know, because I am farther away, but that doesn't really make a difference. And, you know, it shouldn't make a difference. If you have the desire to adopt and you have it in your heart and, you know, you are financially able to, you know, you should adopt from anywhere. It's not that, you know, like I have a higher price tag because, you know, and I don't even look at it that way, but I have a higher price tag because I'm an international adoptee, you know, from someone who's local from Seattle, let's say that needs to be adopted. You know, it shouldn't really matter as long as you have a place in your heart for, to love a child and love it unconditionally, it shouldn't really matter. So. And did you have a closed or open adoption? So I had a closed adoption, um, and I honestly don't really know if my birth parents are still around um, or if I had any family or anything. Uh, my husband and I did for our wedding. We got each other the 23andMe DNA testing. Um, I knew that he was full Filipino, but I just thought it might be fun to see if he had any Spanish in him or anything else uh, since his last name is 
Spanish. So I was like, oh, let's find this out. And I thought I was 100% full Korean, but it actually turns out I have just a small, I think it's like a 22% um, Japanese in me. So Korean-Japanese mix, which is pretty cool. So I was surprised by that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those those DNA tests are like crazy, you know? It, it's just – yeah. It's amazing what you can find out. Yeah, it is amazing. And I actually found out, um, found like an uncle possibly that is related to me and then his daughter who would be maybe my cousin or something. And I reached out to them and unfortunately um, he didn't reach out or he didn't reach back. Um, But it was just interesting to see exactly like where everyone stands or how close you're related to someone and, you know, if you have any relatives out there. So, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, when you hear fertility doctor, fertility doctors say, "Check in with your mom about her fertility." What types of feelings come up for you, and how do you respond to that? Um, that one always kind of makes me cringe. Also, filling out the papers for family history. Um, I know I really shouldn't do this, but it just kind of upsets me every single time because there should be a box that says I'm adopted. Yes. I don't know my family history. People who are listening to this, please, like, if you are in charge of creating these forms, add another box, add another question. That's amazing. Keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, but I agree. People, there should be on the form, I am adopted. I don't know my family history. So what do I do? I take the pen and I write a big, huge X on it, or I say (laughs) N-A. Because I don't know. I don't know. Like, plain and simple, I don't know. I don't want to sit there and guess. I don't want to pretend that I know. I don't want to make up fake answers that I know because I don't. Like, I don't know. And that is something, honestly, that I wish I did know. I wish I knew if my mother had fatty liver disease. I wish I knew if diabetes ran in the family. I wish I knew if my mother or father, my birth mother or father, were obsessed with carbs as much as I am. You know, I wish I knew these things. I wish I knew if my birth parents knew that when I was born that I had this unicornate uterus. These are things that I wish I knew that I long to know. And I'm sure that everyone or other women who are dealing with you know, for infertility are also wondering the same because we don't know. We will never know. And I think that's why I am so adamant and advocating for everyone who is adopted, whether you're adopted from Asia, you know, wherever you're adopted from, that you go and you make sure that you're getting all the tests you need to get done. We went and got my genetics testing done just to see exactly if I had any underlying, you know, if I was a carrier for anything. And I really honestly think that you need to advocate for yourself and go and get checked because we don't know. We don't know our family history. We don't know what's in our background. We don't know what can be passed down to our children. And this is something that we need to know for ourselves and for our own good. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the most hurtful thing anyone has said to you throughout your journey? Um, basically, the adoption thing. Like, you should adopt. You're adopted. You should adopt. Um, yes, I am adopted. I was raised in the most amazing family, and I am so thankful to have so much love and support and care and just, I mean, 
I'm just one of the blessed ones that has just been adopted into the most amazing, beautiful family on both sides, on my mom's side, on my dad's side, and on my husband's side, on both sides of his family. Um, everyone's just been so accepting and loving and caring and stuff. But at the same time, you, you know, don't tell me to adopt just because I was adopted. Yes, I know I was adopted. Thank you for bringing that up. I obviously don't look like my parents. I don't look like my sisters. I used to say growing up when people would be like, oh, who do you look like? We had a cat at the time. Her name was Corky. And I said, oh, I look like Corky. I look like a cat because I didn't know better. I didn't know better. Oh, you look like a cat. Okay. Well, yeah. That's a great response. That's a great response. I love it. I just didn't know like what to say. Like my mom is a beautiful blonde haired lady. My dad is Russian and, you know, kind of big stocky black hair, you know, and he looks like he could be in the Jewish mafia when he wears his sunglasses <laughs> and his business suit. And, you know, I didn't look like my parents. I looked nothing like them. So it's like, oh, I look like my cat. I guess I did look like my cat. Who knows? You have a great nose like your cat. <laughs> like my cat. I know my let's cat had a squishy it, nose. Yeah, let's bring it back. Let's make a call back to the your cute nose. Um, what has been the most reassuring or comforting thing that has been said to you throughout your journey? I've been told a lot of amazing things throughout this journey. Um, one of my favorite ones is to never give up hope. And you know, I think we all have these hopes and dreams and wishes that we all set for ourselves and just to not give up hope. You know, it's something that I've had to work hard on um, because, you know, sometimes I do feel hopeless, but I just honestly feel that, you know, our time will come and it, it, everything happens for a reason. And I'm excited to see exactly what's ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah. What makes your blood boil about infertility? Oh, lots of things. Lots and lots and lots of things. I could go on forever. But one of my things is, is that I feel as an infer infertile woman, that's a hard tongue twister, as an infertile woman, we need better care. We need better coverage. We need better care. We need better, we need to be better advocated for. I don't think we're advocated for enough. We need to have, you know, we shouldn't be paying, you know, $3,000, three to $5,000 for gonal F pens. You know, we shouldn't be having to pay, you know, however much your clinic is charging you for, and you know, to be basically seen and to have IVF. And I strongly feel that you know, yes, there are com big companies out there to work for that will cover infertility, and I think that's great. But I feel like infertility should be covered by more companies. Be you know, medications should be com covered by more, you know, insurances. And insurance should be better about infertility coverage because I feel like it's non-existent. I myself do not have infertility coverage, and so we're paying everything out of pocket. And it's the most ridiculous thing ever because it's like – you know, the amount that we'll end up paying, I could have gotten, you know, two used or two new cars, you know, for the amount of that we're, you know, being, you know, having to pay. And for all the people that, you know, have, you know, eight or nine, you know, egg retrievals and transfers and everything, my heart goes out to you. That is so much money. And I just, you know, it's 
needs to be better advocated for and better, you know, I feel like we need to be better about it. Um, I know there's some states that cover it, you know, here in Washington state, we don't cover it. And, you know, yes, I've been told, oh, well, there's other clinics you can go to and get a better deal and everything. But it's not really about that. It's about, you know, finding the place that you feel comfortable with, finding the doctors that you feel the most comfortable with. And because I have this, you know, uterus anomaly, it's, you know, I have to see a special doctor. It's not like I can go to anyone, you know, or go to Mexico and get it done because, you know, the doctors there might not be very knowledgeable. So that's what makes my blood boil. I wish, honestly, I wish that, you know, more people could be, you know, given more grants, I feel like there needs to be more grants out there. And one day, if the work, you know, if life allows it, I'd love to set up a grant and help, you know, women who need help with becoming pregnant. You know, it's not our, you know, it's not our fault that we were born this way. You know, it's, you know, a medical issue. And unfortunately, you know, yeah, have sex, you'll get pregnant. Well, it doesn't work that way for all of us, but thanks for giving me the advice and I appreciate it, but not really. So, yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And and it's also just like accessibility, you know, like it shouldn't have to be that you have to go to four different doctors to find a good rate, you know, yeah. then you're exhausting yourself and you're losing time. Yeah. It, it, it's not fair. Not at all. Not at all. Um, any advice for people who might have a similar story to you, to yours? Um, for anyone who, let me start off with anyone who's adopted. Like I said, get every test possible. I know it's so expensive. I know that testing is not easy. I know it's hard. Um, all the blood that goes into those vials and everything. But you need to know what kind of, you know, diseases that you could be a carrier for. You need to know what kind of genetics you have, um, what you can pass on to your child and everything. And I feel that you need to strongly let your doctor know, yes, I'm adopted. I'd like all these tests. Um, find out about every single thing possible that you can because there's a lot of unknown and you just need to really, really, you know, be like, hey, speak for yourself. I know talking about adoption can be hard for a lot of people, but you need to stand up for yourself and you need to be, you know, strong. And this is your future child. You want to be you know, the best that you can be for them. And for anyone with the unicornatus uterus, hi, unicorns. I see your beautiful sparkle. I know you girls are out there and everything. Um, just you need to also advocate for yourself, you know, learn about, you know, there's Facebook sites for us, um, unicornatus uteruses. Um, there's support groups. There's, you know, everything out there. Um, and Go and talk to other women. You'll feel kind of a sigh of relief when I found this Facebook group about the uteruses. You know, it was a huge sign of relief to know that other women out there were going through the same thing, you know. And a lot of these women were very, very successful. You know, they had successful pregnancies. They had their unicorn baby and everything. And I just think it's, you know, it's a great kind of way to get out there and, you know, feel less alone. And same with adoption. Um, you need to go out there and find other women who are adopted and other women who speak the truth and can talk to you about your feelings and everything. And honestly, it's so legit to have so many feelings being adopted and going through infertility, whether, you know, you are infer 
infertile or, you know, adopted. So. Absolutely. You got to find your tribe. You got to find your people. Yep. Well, to wrap things up, how can people follow you and your journey? Um, so I am very, 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 as we all know, actively involved in the Instagram community. Um, you can find me at hashtag JPSBIVF journey. I'm on there. Feel free to give me a follow. Um, I will answer any questions you have, whether they be inappropriate questions, which are some of my favorites, or whether they be, you know, funny questions or anything, feel free to ask me any question. I'm very open about my adoption and being adopted. Um, and I know that, you know, I can help you if you're adopted feel kind of more like you're included in this community and everything. So yeah, that's where and you is can it reach. hashtag JP or is it the at sim- symbol? Sorry, it's at. So the <laughs> at symbol. I don't know why I'm hashtagging myself. But, it, but there is hashtag unicornatus uterus. But I don't know why I'm hashtagging myself. That's really awkward. But okay. That's great. You should have your own hashtag, Jordy. Absolutely. I would support that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Jordy, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Um, go follow Jordy, follow her story on Instagram. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Millie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Oh,